Hey, this is Pastor Arm, and I want to thank you for joining me today for the Activation Church podcast. We are here so that people can activate their life in Christ, and I believe this message is going to help you go further than ever before. Check it out. For the past few weeks, we've been in a series called Built to Last. Turn to the person next to you and say, you are built to last. And so we've been looking at three different building blocks that we should be building our life on. They are his word, his work, and his way. Somebody say his word, his work, work. and his way. way. I want you to understand that it is his word that directs our life and leads us into life. It is his work that perfects us. And it is his way that establishes us. I want to say it again. His word directs my life. His work perfects my life. And his way establishes my life. All three of these building blocks must be in place if we're going to have a life that thrives. A life that stands through the storm. How many of you understand that life is not made up of all happy seasons? There is trouble, there is pain, there is trauma, there are storms, but we have the ability to stand through it all because I'm not standing on my feelings. I have built my life upon his word, his work, and his way. Please get this. You have to build your life on his word, his work, and his way. If not, you're left to your feelings. If not, you're left to the report of the doctor. But I know someone who has more authority than any doctor. So I choose to believe what God has said. I choose to seek what God has said. I choose to experience what God can do in my life and in my family, and in this church. My life is built on his word, his work, and his way. Please understand the importance of all three of these building blocks in your life. As soon as you remove one, your life starts to get unstable. As soon as you start shifting things around and moving one of these out of the way, your life will get unstable. But if you build your life on his word, his work, and his way, you will stand. Somebody say, I will stand. Are you ready to get into it this morning? His word directs my life. If you ever want to hear a word from God, all you have to do is open up the word of God because he is actively speaking. It's important for us to understand that the scripture is not just words written on a page, but it is living and it is active. It is God breathed. It's not something he has said. It is something he continues to say. He is continuing to speak. Have you ever experienced that before when you open the scripture? And it begins to just jump off the page and direct you. It begins to feed you. It begins to show you things that you have not seen. It begins to give you an awareness of things that you have not known. Why? 
because that's what the Word of God does. It is living. It is active. It is the only book that will read you as you read it. It is the only book that will start to show you things in your life that need to change or need to enhance. Why? Because it is living and it is active. The Bible says in Psalm 119, verse 105, that his word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. In other words, his word shows me things that I cannot see on my own. His word directs the course of my life and takes me into pleasant places and gives me a foundation to stand on in the midst of trouble. Are you following me? Dave, David says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, the word of God gives you something to hold on to when you're in the valley of the shadow of death, but it also gives you the promise of greener pastures on the other side. It gives you the hope that becomes an anchor to your soul when the storms of life are raging. When you have nothing else to hold on to in life, you have the Word of God that will stand forever. The Bible says that the grass withers, the flowers fade, but the Word of God, the Word of God will stand forever. It directs my path. I grew up snow skiing. Any snow skiers in here? I know that there's a few of you out there that still get out there and shred the snow from time to time. But I grew up snow skiing, and I was the only one in my immediate family that knew how to do it. And so one year I decided it's time for my brothers and my mother to learn how to ski. And so I took them up to the mountains. And day one, we get to the slope, we lay out our skis, my mom snaps in, falls over, and says, that's enough for me. <laughs> Which is, she bought all the outfits needed for skiing. She looked like uh, Jim Carrey in Dumb and Dumber. You know, she had, she had it all. She looked like a pro, even though she knew nothing about skiing. So she falls. She's done. As I'm explaining to everyone else how we ski and how we stop ourselves, which is a very important instruction, my older brother just takes off down the bunny slope. Never skied before in his life. He just takes off. So I hop on the trail, and I'm going after him, trying to get to him, trying to save him. And since he doesn't know how to stop, he just slides in, taking out people at the lift line. And so I help him up. I'm like, are you okay? He goes, yeah, I'm good. He said, do you think I'm ready for more? I said, I think you are. And so instead of taking him back to the bunny lift, I got him on the regular lift. And the idea was I was going to find some green slopes, which are the easiest to, to navigate for a beginner. And so I'm going to take him down it because it's a little more complicated than bunny trail. And obviously, he's already accomplished that in his life. And so we're skiing. And out of nowhere, we end up on a black diamond with someone who has never skied before in his life. It could have been avoidable if I would have just looked at the trail map. You know, it's something that they print out for you. Now they'll even put it on your phone. All you have to do 
is look at the trail map and it will lead you where you need to be. But if you don't follow that trail map, especially on some of these mountains where all the things are just crisscrossing, you can get into a lot of trouble. Not only can you get into a lot of trouble if you decide you're not gonna look at the trail map, you can get into a lot of trouble if you decide that you're gonna blaze your own trail through the woods, which I have done. You know, they graciously groomed these paths for you to ski down. But as a kid, I was like, that's not enough adventure for me. I'm going to blaze my own trail. And so I hop off into the woods. I'm skiing through the woods. The snow starts getting deeper and deeper until eventually one of my skis clips a tree and I sink and I'm buried chest deep in the snow all by myself. Why? Because I didn't want to follow the map. I thought I knew better. The question is, how many of us have been that way with the Word of God? It's wanting to lead us into a place of life, but we end up stuck in the snow because we did not pay attention to what it was saying. God tells Joshua in the first chapter of the book of Joshua, verse 8, he says, this book of the law, he's talking about his word. He says, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. But you shall meditate on it day and night. Why? That's the question. Is it so that we have a lot of head knowledge? Is it so that we can debate our friends? Is it so that we can speak down to others and show them exactly what they're doing wrong in their life? No. Why does God want Joshua to meditate on the word? Why does God want us to meditate on the word? So that we personalize this, so that I may be careful to do everything that is written in it. The result, God says, you, is this. You will make your way prosperous and you will have good success. In other words, the word of God has the ability to produce in your life, but it only produces for you when you are obedient to it. Somebody say obedience is a key. It does not matter how much words you know, if you do not apply it, it will not be helpful. And I think sometimes as Christians, you know, we have our devotions, we have our study time, and we read scripture, but what are we really doing with it? Some of us have it memorized. Some of us have even found the Greek words for what is in the text, yet what are we doing with it? It'd be like me telling my children, hey, I want you to clean the house today while I'm gone. And when I come back, the house is still a disaster. And I find all three of my girls in the bedroom that is still a disaster, sitting in a semicircle, talking to one another about what dad has said. And my oldest daughter says, remember, dad has told us that we shall clean our room. And then my middle daughter's like, yes, let's break that down in Greek. What does I really mean? What is clean? What is dad really getting to when he uses the word clean? What is it that he wants from us? And so they begin to study what I have said. And then they invite their friends over. And when I walk into this study, I say, why haven't you cleaned your room? And they're like, well, we have been studying what you have said. We've been talking about different ways we could apply what you've said. We've come up with a really powerful discussion group on what would happen if we did what you said. What benefit for them is there going to be? None. 
the blessing that would come from them cleaning their room will not come just because they sat and talked about it. That conflicts me a little bit. Because how many times has Aram Meshagan heard the word of God or read the word of God and ignored the word of God with no application? The Bible says in James, the first chapter, verse 22, it says, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. See, if you're only hearing or only reading or only studying scripture, but you're not applying scripture, you are deceiving yourself. And when the storm comes, you have no chance at standing. That's the point of the parable that Jesus tells about the two men who built their house. One man builds on the sand. One man builds on the rock. Jesus says the man who builds his house on the sand is those who hear my words but do not apply my words. But the man who builds his house on the rock is the one who when he hears the word, he applies the word. And when the storm comes and beats on his life, he stands. Why? Because he has the foundation of the word. Somebody say, I've got to build my life on the word. Listen, this is more than a cute Sunday school sermon. This is something you've got to take hold of because when the storm comes, you need to be ready. When the storm comes, is not the time to start preparing You've got to be so filled with the word of God that when you get squeezed, the word comes out. When you get squeezed, the word comes out. Let me ask you this. What's coming out of you when you get squeezed? Is it fear? Or is it faith? Is it your feelings? Or is it his word? that calls those things that are not as though they already are. Listen, faith is not ignoring the circumstance. I woke up this morning at 3.30 in the morning with pain in my shoulder. I wasn't feeling well. I got up, I started getting ready, taking a shower, and I was thinking, I, you know, if, if things stay this way, I'm going to have a really difficult time getting to church today. Faith was not ignoring the circumstances. I understood that I had pain. I understood that I was not feeling well. But my faith said, I am called to do something. And because I am called to do it, I will go and do it and expect God to show up and give me the strength that I need to do what he's called me to do. That's faith. That's faith. So many people within the church world were taught, and if you grew up in church, you may have heard things like this, like, Faith is ignoring the circumstance, acting of it as if it doesn't exist. That's not faith. Faith is believing that God is bigger than the circumstance. Faith is holding on to the fact that God is able to move in the midst of any situation. That is biblical faith. And the more of the word that you get inside of you, the more the word can come out of you. You know, I, I play uh, some different instruments. And I was thinking about it the other day. Like, if I were to get up here and play something right now, say I were to do some form of a solo, I don't have to practice what I'm going to play. 
All I have to do is strap it up, plug it in, and start playing because everything is already inside of me. All I've got to do is take what's already here and get it out here. Does that make sense? That's how the Word of God works. You feed on it and you store it up so that in that moment that you need it, it's there, ready to be released. The Word has tremendous power because it will not return void, but it will prosper wherever it is sent. Are you hearing what I'm saying? The Word of God is the most powerful weapon in your arsenal. That's why the Bible teaches us that it is our sword. It is the thing we thrust when the enemy comes at us. See, all the other weapons, they're there to protect us. They're there to guard us. But the sword is what we thrust. The sword is what we do and use to bring down the attack of the enemy and the assignment against our life. Somebody say, the word of God directs my life. 2 Timothy 4, verse 3 says this, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers that suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander into myths. We're seeing that happen in this day we live in. People are determining what their truth is going to be. And what they're doing is they're going and finding leaders and teachers that will agree with their truth. So what has happened is now you have all these churches, and I use that quote loosely, you have these churches that are more interested in filling auditoriums than they are discipling people, and so they'll start telling you what you want to hear that makes you feel better about yourself so that you continue to attend. But that is deception. Are you hearing what I'm saying? If I tell you it's okay to eat Twinkies for breakfast, lunch, and dinner every day of your life for the rest of your life, that may feel like a really good idea to you. Any Twinkie lovers out there? God is with you. I used to love Twinkies growing up. Can you tell? <laughs> but just because I say that and it feels good to you doesn't make it true. And the end result is going to be devastation in your life. That's why it's so important for us to have the word in our life, the word in our mouth, and the word in our church because it alone is true. Even if it doesn't feel good, I need it. And I always tell people this, just because the word doesn't feel good doesn't mean that it is not good. It's beneficial to the hearer. The Bible says that in 2 Timothy, the third chapter, when it talks about the word of God is breathed by God, which means it is actually his word. Understand that the scripture is not man's concept about God. It is God's concept about himself revealing himself to us. So it is God-breathed, and it, it, the Bible says there that it is beneficial for correction, reproof, training. Why? So that we can be complete, lacking nothing. I remember as a kid, there was people that used to re read their Bible with highlighters. You ever seen people do that? And they got like all the different colors. Now it seems like people want to read their Bibles with whiteouts. 
removing the portions they don't like. I love the stuff that Jesus did for me. I love his work. I love the fact that he died on the cross so that I can have life, but I'm not too into the whole thing of loving enemies, forgiving people that did me wrong. So I'll just remove that section. When you do that, you walk into deception. Are you following me? So the whole word is the counsel of God, and I've got to build my life on the entire word. Somebody say the entire word. So when I was skiing, I sunk down into the sand. The sand. (laughs) That would have been amazing. (laughs) I sunk down into the snow. I'm chest deep, and I have no way of getting out. It was a very desperate situation. My body started shutting down on me. My head started pounding. I was probably, uh, hypothermia was probably setting in, and nobody knew where I was. I couldn't get out because of my skis. I couldn't get out of the snow. And about that time, somebody came in skiing. They found me in this situation that I got myself into. Why? Because I wasn't abiding by the trail map. And when they showed up, they didn't say, hey, you're so stupid for getting off the trail. They didn't call me a dummy. They didn't say, well, you got yourself into this. Figure it out and ski off. They helped me out of that hole and got me down the mountain. And I want you to see this morning that that is what Jesus did for you and I. He sees the fact that we got ourselves into it. He sees the fact that we are where we are because of the choices and the decisions that we have made. Yet he still comes to us, and when he finds us, he does not condemn us. He does not call us dumb. He does not call us stupid. He does not say, well, you got yourself into this. Now figure it out. He reaches down. He pulls us out, and he gives us a new path, a new opportunity at life. God is good, and God loves you enough to work for you and to do what you cannot do. So when we talk about his work, we're talking about the fact that he did for us what we could not do for ourselves. We talk about the fact that he found us. You know, you hear people say, like, I found Jesus. No, you didn't. He has been pursuing you. You just came to the awareness that he has always been pursuing you. Are you following what I'm saying? You did not find Jesus. Jesus found you. He pursued you. He came to you. And that's what separates us from every other religion in the world. The fact that Jesus, God, came down to us. Every other religion teaches that you have to ascend to God through your conduct, through your deeds, through what you wear, what you do not wear. You actually try to ascend to God. But Christianity says there's no way you can get to me, so I am going to come to you. I am going to do for you what you cannot do for yourself. It is his work, not mine. Somebody say it's his work, not mine. Romans, the fifth chapter, verse 6. I love this verse. It says, while we were still weak, get that. God did not wait for you to become strong. 
It says, while you were still weak. I've had people tell me before that they have a desire to serve in the church, but there's some things that they need to work out first. There's some things that they need to fix first. If that is your concept, you've got the wrong concept of God. Because basically you're saying, I've got to fix some things about me before God can use me. I've got to fix some things about me before God will love me. And that's not the concept of all at all. The concept is, while you are still weak, while you're still in your filth, while you're still doing wrong, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For those who got themselves stuck in the snow, in other words. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare to even die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, while we were still running away from God, he was pursuing us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have now been justified, that means we have been made right. The moment you respond to what Jesus has done for you, you are made right with God. Your past and your sin is removed from you. You become a new creation. Are you getting that? It's important for you to understand. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. Get this, the wrath of God is coming. The wrath of God will be poured out on sinful man because of their disobedience. There's no way around the wrath coming. I can bypass the wrath of God because of the blood of Jesus. That's the good news of the gospel. The good news of the gospel is that we have all sinned, we have all fallen short of the glory of God, we have all got stuck in the snow, but Jesus came to rescue us out of the place we got ourselves into and set us on a new course with a new life. It blows my mind to think that there are people who reject the hand of God when he reaches to pull them out of the snow think about that because there are actually people actively rejecting the hand of God that is trying to pull them out of the snow and if they stay in the snow they're going to get hypothermia and die no ifs ands buts about it there is no way out of the snow except for the hand that's going to pull you out and yet we still reject the hand and even worse there are people who fight against that hand there are people who bite at that hand the hand of love please hear me today Jesus loves you Jesus died for you he came to this planet leaving the comforts of heaven to get us out of the snow that we got ourselves into before Jesus came I'm trying to take you on a on a path today because Remember, we're talking about his word, his work, and his way, which goes back to three Old Testament offices, which are, are these in order? Good job, Gavin. Jason. Good job. Somebody give him a raise. Not a clap. 
Man, y'all are going to make him get a big head. Don't. Stop it. His word, his work, his way. These are three Old Testament offices that we see at work. You've got the prophet who speaks the word. You've got the priest who does the work. And then you've got the king who rules. That's what we're looking at through this series. And so what we're looking at is how Jesus now fulfills all three of those offices in our life. So in the Old Testament, you had the prophet who spoke the word. Now Jesus, the word, speaks to us. But now we're on the priest who works for us. See, in the Old Testament, the priest served the people by presenting to God sacrifices and prayers. They served God on behalf of the people. They would offer these sacrifices for the forgiveness of sins, which never fully removed sins, but it was pointing to a better priest that would come, a high priest that once and for all could deliver us. Hebrews, the 10th chapter, says this, And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. It was just a type and shadow. Are you seeing this? The entire Old Covenant is pointing to a better prophet, a better priest, and a better, better king that would come. But everything here is a type and shadow of what is going to happen and be fulfilled through Jesus Christ. The tabernacle, which was an earthly tent, was to represent the presence of God living among the people. But Jesus now becomes the high priest. And because of what he does, we now become the tabernacle. Are you following what I'm saying? There's so much to this, it would take a lot of time to go through it. But it says that Jesus Christ, when, he, when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. So I want you to see that Jesus doesn't just offer sacrifices for us, but he became our sacrifice. He was and is the Lamb of God that was slain before the foundations of the world. Hebrews 5, 9 says, And being made perfect, He became, Jesus became, the source of eternal salvation to all who, what? Obey Him. That means those who turn their life to Him, He becomes the source of their eternal salvation. Salvation. There is no way into the presence of God except through the blood of Jesus. He says it himself. He says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is the door. Jesus is the access point into the throne room of God. And that's what I want you to see here is his work doesn't just save us from our sins, but his work reconciles us to the Father and gives us access to his presence. The Old Testament tabernacle was made up of three parts. You had the outer court, the inner court, and the Holy of Holies. Some would say it's the outer court, the holy place, and the most holy place. The big idea is certain people could come into the outer court after going through certain rituals. Only priests could be in the inner court where they had to perform certain rituals but only the high priest one person one time a year was allowed to go into the most holy place where the ark of the covenant was where the presence of God rested with his people only one person 
one time a year to make a sacrifice of atonement for the sins of the people. But Jesus being the perfect high priest, through his death and shed blood, he enters into the most holy place, not made by hands, but in heaven, appearing before the presence of God on our behalf so that his righteousness can become our righteousness so that his blood can forgive us of our sins. That's amazing. But something else happens in that moment when he dies, the veil. The veil in the tabernacle. The veil in the temple that separated people from God was ripped from top to bottom. Meaning, there is no longer separation between God and his creation who has put their faith in his work. We have what no other generation before Christ Jesus had. When we look back at the stories through Scripture, we see heroes of the faith like Abraham and Moses and David, and we think, what an amazing time that would have been to live in. But understand, we live in a better time under a better covenant because now we don't have to go through all these ceremonies and rituals for someone else to go to God on our behalf. We now have access because of the blood of Jesus into the very throne room of God. I want to read you the scripture because it, it blows my mind every time I read it. It says, Hebrews 4th chapter, verse 15, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. See, the fact that God became a man to live the life that we could not live means he had to go through the same things that we go through. That's why he can sympathize with us. He understands our weakness. He understands our flesh. It says he sympathizes with us. Verse 16 says, let us then, this is you and I, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Anytime you need him, you have access to him. He's not far off. He's not distant. He's not behind a veil. You don't have to go through a man or a woman or a priest to get to God. You go directly to him through the blood of Jesus, which makes you whole. It cleanses you once and for all. Once you are saved, you are saved. You are fully saved. Now the work of Jesus that saved you, that brings you into the presence of God, continues to work on you, in you, and through you to sanctify you, which means he makes you more like himself. So I want you to see that his work isn't just what he did on the cross, but his work is what he continues to do to this day. Seated at the right hand of the Father, the Bible teaches that he makes intercession for us. Isn't that amazing that Jesus Christ himself is talking to the Father on our behalf? And he says the work that he started in you, he will bring to completion. 
Understand the process of sanctification, which means you're becoming more like Christ, is not your work. It is the work of God in you. It's not about me becoming a new, improved person. It's about me becoming a new creation, realizing that his blood saves. His word builds and his way works. And so now I say, God, I give my life to you wholly and completely. I believe what you did for me on the cross and I'm inviting you to be the king of my life. But at that moment, doesn't, that doesn't mean I start doing everything right. Because as long as I'm in this flesh suit, I'm, I'm still going to make some errors. But God doesn't reject us. He works with us to bring us through it, to perfect us. That's why I say his word perfects us. It cleanses us from our sin, but he continues to work on our behalf until that day that we see him face to face and we are like him. Isn't that amazing? It's hard to think of a life free of this brain right here. A life free of the guilt, a life completely free of the shame, a a life completely free of the errors, but that is where we are headed if we have put our faith in Christ. His word directs, his work perfects, And his way establishes. Somebody say his way establishes. Matthew, the sixth chapter, verse 33, the Bible says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Jesus is telling us here that our number one priority in this life should be seeking the kingdom of God. And his righteousness. What is the kingdom of God? If that should be my priority, I need to start figuring out what is the nuts and bolts of this kingdom I should be seeking. The kingdom is simply put, his way of doing things. My priority should be to seek God and his way of of doing things. We need to understand that when we came into Christ, we became a new creation. We were transferred from a kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And as a part of this kingdom, we have to understand that we now have a new king. If you are not in the kingdom of God, you have a king as well. You're just not aware of it. But once you come into the kingdom of God, if the kingdom of God is going to be established in your life, it is understanding that I now have a king and I am living under his rule, his way, and his authority. That's why I often tell you, like, you know, at the end of services, there will be times where you'll do like a salvation call and you give opportunity for people to say a prayer. But salvation is more than praying that prayer. Salvation is believing that Jesus Christ is the son of the living God that came to this earth died the death that you deserve, and rose from the dead, and he forgives your sin. That's part of salvation. The second part is this. I make you Lord of my life, which means you are now the king of my life. I'm not just coming to you for your work, but I also want your way in my life. I want your authority in my life. This is big, and this is what separates those who are actually saved from those who think they're saved. I want to show you this in in James, the second chapter, verse 19. Because the only way for the kingdom of God to be established in your life 
is to receive the king of the kingdom. Again, that doesn't mean that you're going to do everything perfect. We're all a work in, in uh, you understand? We're all a work in progress. But I do surrender my life to him saying, God, I'm going to do it your way or try my best through the power of your spirit to do it your way. James 2.19, he says, you believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Did you know that the demons believe God is God? They're not questioning that. The, the demons believe that Jesus did what he said he would do and die on a cross and come back from the dead. They saw him do it. They even know the scripture and were there when it was penned. When Satan comes to tempt Jesus in the wilderness, do you know what he uses? Scripture. So it's not just the word. It's not just the work. It's got to be the way, because that's the difference. They believe that God is God. They believe that Jesus is the Son of God. They know the word, but they ha have rejected him as their king. Are you following that train of thinking? So it's not just receiving his sacrifice, which that's the only way in, but once I understand his sacrifice, I say, you know what? I'm in a broken system, and I am a part of the brokenness, I am not the solution. I'm the problem. I need a Savior, and now I surrender my life to this Savior who's going to lead me, guide me, and direct me, and bring me into the pleasant places that he has prepared for me because he has what is best for me. So once we come into the kingdom, we don't just live under his authority, but now we actually carry his authority in the earth. I want you to allow that to sink in. We're not just coming under his authority, but we become ambassadors of his authority here on this earth. See, we believe, if you want to know what we believe at Activation Church, we believe there is heaven, we believe there is hell. We believe that there is the world, and we believe that there is a ch the church. And the world is trying very hard to bring hell up into the culture into education. That's what the world is doing because the world has a king as well. Are you, are you getting this? The world has a king as well. Please do not think that you are a free thinker or living free. You're not. You are under the control of a spirit. Right. And it is either the spirit of this world or it is the spirit of God. Yeah. You are not your own. Right. You are not your own. You either belong to the spirit of this world or you belong to the spirit of God. And it's all based upon the decision that you've made of which path am I going to follow. So the world is always working to bring hell up. But as the world is working to bring hell up, the church should be working together to bring heaven down, which we have the ability to do. We have the authority to do. Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father in heaven, holy is your name. And let me say this, God is a holy God. And then he says, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So first, it's God, let your will be done in this earth 
as it is in heaven. And once your will is being done in this earth, then I will release your will to the earth. And the more we do that, the more the kingdom of God is going to expand, which is the purpose of the church. The purpose of the church is not for us to gather together once a week and sing some songs and hear a message. The purpose of the church is to be equipped as the body of Christ to go into the world to expand his kingdom, to bring light into darkness, and as light grows, darkness fades. So many people now are praying, oh, Jesus, just come back, just come back. And listen, I look forward to the return of Jesus Christ. I look forward to the return of Jesus Christ, but I also understand that I am here for a purpose, that his work through us is not yet done. There is still a world that he wants to reach and a work that he wants to accomplish. And I believe, it is my personal belief, that as things get darker, the church is going to get stronger and release more of his light into the earth until a revival takes place that shakes this earth and many come to the saving faith of Jesus Christ. That's what I believe. I don't believe that we are on a losing team. I do not believe that things are going to get worse and worse and worse and worse and worse and worse and worse for me. That doesn't mean things aren't going to get darker in the world. But as the world gets darker, I'm going to shine brighter. And when persecution comes, because persecution always comes, persecution does not crush the church. It enhances the church. If you go all the way back to the children of God being in Egypt where they are being persecuted, through that persecution they flourished. When you go into the book of Acts and you start seeing the church being persecuted for the gospel, what happens? The church begins to flourish and grow because no matter what the enemy tries, he cannot stomp out the church because he has no power over the church. Jesus Christ says, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. We are here for a reason. We are here for a purpose and we need to spend every moment of the rest of our life seeking his kingdom, sorry, seeking his kingdom and doing his will on this earth, which is to go out and get the lost. To be an example to those that are broken, to those that are hurting. To show them that there is a God that loves them. Listen, nothing else matters more than that. Nothing matters more than that. And the only thing that we're going to be rewarded for when it's all said and done is what we did for him, not what we accomplished for ourselves. Please hear me, because I am for building business. I am for having nice things. I am for all of that. I'm for your kids enjoying life. I am for all of that. I'm going to leave here today and go to two lacrosse games. I'm for that. But that is not my priority. The kingdom of God is my priority. And everything that I have belongs to him and is applied to expanding his kingdom. Because that's the only thing that matters. It is the only thing that matters. And church, hear what I'm saying. We have an opportunity to shake our world. 
we have an opportunity to win Dallas, Georgia for the glory of God. But it's going to take a people working together, filled with his spirit, walking in his power, working together, working together. And I believe that we can do it, but we've got to put our hand to the plow. That was one of our statements for this year is this is the year to put the hand to the plow. And we've done it and we've seen an amazing increase, but I believe that the work is still there for us to accomplish. And I want to encourage you to jump in, throw your hand on the plow, throw your resources towards the goal of winning people to Christ, and let's do something amazing together. Let's do something that, so if Jesus does tarry, that means he does extend his time in heaven before returning to earth, which he already knows when he's coming back, by the way. I don't. You don't. He does. But until he comes back, let's be working. Amen?